the best songs are about heartbreak, right? But if you're a songwriter, how long can you keep mining the depths of your own pain? Yeah, I think I definitely used to be a really um, bad, quote-unquote, songwriter in terms of I used to believe in, you know, you have to experience heartbreak or something dramatic to write a good song. But um, I think as I've gotten a bit older, I've learnt that's not the most healthy or sustainable way to have a career in music. That's Beck Sandridge, singer-songwriter from the south coast of New South Wales. I'm Jennifer Macy and you're listening to In The Making, a podcast by Makeshift that explores creativity as a prescription for challenging times. Beck Sandridge's debut album, Try and Save Me, is described as spaghetti disco pop with a definite rocking beat. I mean, try listening in your lounge room at high volume and not dance. But the lyrics are intelligent, witty, thoughtful. And it would be fair to say that Beck wears her heart on her album sleeve. The songs talk honestly about sexuality, mental health, self-care and, of course, breakups. In this episode, Beck talks about being vulnerable in her songwriting and that she's learnt it's not always sustainable to pour all her pain into her songs. And just a quick heads up, this conversation may be confronting for some listeners, so just take care. My name is Beck Sandridge and I currently live in Thrill, um, grew up in Wollongong and I am a singer-songwriter, artist, musician, person. So I was forced into playing the trombone in primary school because I went to a really small primary school um, and the band leader, teacher, had like auditions and she was like you've got long arms you will probably be good at this instrument and I hated it um and to the point where I just never practiced had no idea how to read music just kind of fudged my way through that whole thing and then from that point I feel like throughout primary school and the start of high school I just really resented music um and no one in my family was really musical although like my parents loved listening to you know the Fleetwood Macs or Steely Dan kind of musicians. Um, That's a then, pretty good musical uh, background. Yeah, I think I definitely inherited a similar um, taste to my parents. Like my dad is very much like a singer-songwriter man and my mum is like a disco kind of gal. Um, but I think it was in Year 9 where, where I went on eBay and I bought a blue, like a really shitty blue acoustic guitar. And I think myself and my family included were like, this is going to be the next phase. Like I went through the horse riding, the surfing, (laughs) soccer, but there was just something about the guitar that I just became really obsessed with. Like I would literally walk around my family home with the guitar attached to me from like the bathroom to the kitchen to my bedroom Um, and I would have just like a little cassette recorder recording little noodles I guess Um, and and I kind of just learnt the entire back catalogue of Blink-182 and then I'd always wanted to sing but I was always 
just stage fright. Um, and it wasn't until I left school that I sung in public for the first time. Really? Yeah. Um, so I was just playing guitar in a blues and roots band and the lead singer went overseas for six months and our booking agent at the time called me and was like, Beck, we've got this really good gig. Um, you guys booked in. And I was like, Mel's overseas. Um, and he's like, you can probably sing. Um, I'll book you in. And then just hung up, um, which for me was like my biggest fear was singing in public. Um, but at the time I would have been at that point where everyone does their go to Euro backpackers trip. And so a bunch of my friends and family placed money bets and they're like, you don't have the guts to sing. Um, and I don't know, there was just part of me that really wanted to do it. And so I did it, almost died, but didn't. And then took my probably like $300 and took it over to Europe and then played my first lot of gigs kind of in front of just strangers and built up confidence that way. But it was like a pretty serendipitous kind of moment where I, when I flew over to Europe, um, I went to Glasgow in Scotland and um, I was walking throughout the streets um, and there was this guy busking um, and his name was Passenger who was like a pretty successful singer-songwriter and I kind of just stayed and sat there with my big heavy 30-kilo backpack and um, I had my guitar there and it turns out that they were staying at the same hostel as me um, and they invited me on tour. Um, but at the time I was meant to go back to uni and called home and I was like what should I do like you know the responsible thing is studying English and becoming an English teacher was the the career path that was the career path uh and my mum was like you've always wanted to do this just drop out of uni I was like that is the worst parental advice ever so I just deferred for the term and went over stayed over did the tour and so were you playing original songs I was doing kind of half-half, like fudging my way through a bunch of covers and originals, um, but writing as I was over there. Um, it was it was a bit like bonkers in terms of going from, you know, never singing in public to then playing rooms where it were kind of 200, 300 people, but fun. <laughs> but I think after that tour then, yeah, he, I think he was busking like, Amsterdam or something and someone from the late night show heard him play and then let her go went like number one in like I don't know 10 different countries or something it was wow so I should have held off really a bit, a bit longer waited till the arena tour <laughs> said sorry I'm regrets not a, I'm not available <laughs> yeah I'm not available you were saying that that your family thought it, this was just going to be like one of those other things the horses mm. the soccer why do you think you stuck with it what was it that attracted you to this thing? It's a good question. I feel like as a teenager, I music for me felt like the one place that I could truly articulate how I was feeling. Like I, I could truly represent my internal world in a relatively accurate way. Um, and like I was a pretty anxious or awkward kid in in high school like I was very interested in English and painting and yet reading um and so music kind of felt like a similar kind of space where I could represent myself and the space I guess is like very safe very um no rules and 
I think I think that's it, maybe. Do you remember one of the songs from then? <sighs> I remember the first song I ever wrote and it's on the internet and it's really bad. Um, finally, it was it was picked up on a Dulux ad and it, that, the song um, originally, the lyrics were like, call me another day and it was like me at like, I don't know, 18 or something attempting to be sassy. Um, but then they wanted the lyrics changed to colour me. <laughs> um, but the lyrics definitely didn't really make sense, but it was just really, f- like, folky and fun. Yeah. I feel like I was writing probably since I was 18, but didn't perform under my own name until I was about 20. So what does it take to write a song, a good song, or just any song? Sometimes I believe in a good song, sometimes I don't. Like I think if it's true to you, then that's enough. Um, Yeah, I think I definitely used to be a really um, bad, quote-unquote, songwriter in terms of I used to believe in, you know, you have to experience heartbreak or something dramatic to write a good song. But um, I think as I've gotten a bit older... I've learnt that's not the most healthy or sustainable way to have a career in music. Um, like I had your album on earlier and the girls were just rocking out. Yeah. Cute. It's such a great sound. It's such a thank you. fun 80s, mm. like rocking. It's stressful too. So, well, why is it stressful, Beck? Well, I feel like it was definitely written at a time where... I, one, had a breakup and, two, just discovered the amazing thing of therapy. And so there was a lot of um, learning about, you know, body cues of when you feel socially anxious and how to recognise what's going on for you and being able to calm your mind. Um, And I kind of like when the music reflects that anxiety or you know, that panic when you're at a at a place where you're like, oh, I just can't be here. I need to go home and have a cup of tea and watch Netflix. Um, so I think a lot of the record kind of pendulums between, you know, kid brain Rebecca where I have no idea what I'm doing and I feel kind of out of control and like socially anxious and then it kind of swings to the other side of my brain where I'm like, actually, no, you've got this. You know, you can be confident, you can be articulate um, and you can control to a degree your anxiety and also having anxiety isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just a signal that, um, you know, you're trying to look after yourself. So I think that record, Try and Save Me, was written during that time of just discovering those parts of myself. So it's not just about a breakup, this record, No, I think also um, learning a lot about um, coming out with my family. I grew up in a Pentecostal Christian family home. I haven't, funnily, I haven't listened to my own album in a long time. So I'm looking at the back of the cover now at all of the titles. Um, What about this one? 
And so, so we're pointing at the song I'll Never Want a Boyfriend, which is technically the second track mm. on the album. And the first kind of song on the album, I sampled my grandma's voice where she was like, I think that's quite unacceptable. And I thought it kind of framed the album really well, where at the time I would have been 21 when I came out to my parents and there was a lot of pressure from myself but also from my family to not be queer or gay. Um, And so at the time my mum was like, if you don't like the rules here, you need to leave home. So I did, which, one, put a lot of pressure on the relationship to work but also it felt like I had to compartmentalise my life in terms of my family, you know, didn't want to know part of who I was and I grew up with a lot of Christian friends. So, um, yeah, I had to move out of home, probably couldn't afford to live out of home. Yeah, we spent like probably like a year of just not talking essentially, you know, on and my family were really close. Um, so that was hard. And then... We, How old were you? I think 21. Yeah, so it was... It was, I don't know, rough. Um, But we ended up going to therapy together, hilariously, at her church. Um, And the therapist asked that we both have a compromise for each other. And my request was that my girlfriend could come over to our family house um, just to hang out because we were essentially just dating in cars. And, like, it was stupid. Like, it was, yeah, hard. But it was one of the most amazing moments for me in terms of learning about someone who has completely different views to me and the same for my mum where we learnt to respect each other's beliefs and to hold our own but you know to hold someone else's at the same time and through that you know we have now closer than ever where we're able to listen to each other to respect each other to not want to change each other and just to you know, learn to be good listeners. And when we, you know, kind of started doing therapy together and talking, mum was like, sometimes as a kid you think that parents never stuff up, but I have immensely fucked up as a mum and I don't know if you'll ever forgive me, but I want to ask for your forgiveness and I want to get to know you. And for me it was a real game changer Um And at the time I was like, I don't think I forgive you right now, but I appreciate the olive branch. And, yeah, after that I think, you know, we really worked hard in learning how to listen, learning how to be patient with each other. And, yeah, that's kind of, I guess, the the grounds in which the album was built on in some ways, like the aftermath, the emotional aftermath of being cut off from your family, being cut off from your friends, having to compartmentalise your life and trying to piece together your life after that. You know, it's kind of hard as a kid when you think that, you know, your your parents love you unconditionally and it's like, actually, no, the condition is Jesus. <laughs> um, and yeah. a boyfriend. Yeah, and boyfriend. Never want a boyfriend. How is this song written? Mm. I'll never want a boyfriend. So I think for me, I'll never want a boyfriend. I wrote it as I, in the past, and maybe now still, 
when I find emotions difficult, I'll write something in a very tongue-in-cheek kind of way um, because it makes difficult emotions easier to digest. And I thought it was really funny to write a conversation to my mum because at the time my parents owned the news agency in Helensburg and I was in their shop and this customer came in and he was like, oh, my grandson goes to Wollongong Uni. My mum was like, so does my daughter. And they in that moment were like, oh, well, clearly they are now soulmates and they should get married. And so my mum decided to give this grandfather my number to give to his grandson. And I was like, mum, I have a girlfriend. Like, what are you doing? And so at the time I was like, I think I've got the lyric is like, um, you give my number to any old man and you, you'll you hope that I find a nice guy or something. And you're just trying to pretend that I don't have a girlfriend. And I'm standing, like we're literally standing right here. So, so the experience was directly lifted from that. Yeah, so it was kind of very much a stab at my mum in the nicest way possible, but also just like a reclaiming of knowing that it's okay that I'll potentially never want a boyfriend. And also there's a layer of like not even through the lens of queerness, like for women I think it's often, you know, we need a partner to make ourselves whole. We need someone else to be enough. And sometimes you just don't want that. You just want to be alone. So I think it's kind of a little tongue-in-cheek stab at all of those <laughs> So how does your mum deal with this song now? Oh, I think <laughs> my mum really likes the album, funnily. At the time she's like, Rebecca, why did not give out your number? She's kind of like this Kath and Kim kind of figure. She thought it was funny, I think. She, like my family have a very like dark sense of humour. But at first she was like, oh, no, here we go. I think she just knows that, like, songwriting is my honest thought space. And she's like, here we go. Here we go again. Yeah. The the other songs are about your breakup. Uh-huh. There's songs about my breakup. There's songs about strangers, about mental health and feeling like, like you can't leave your house and the days that you feel like you can't do the thing that you know that you're good at, you know, the thing being, you know, making a podcast or the thing making music or, um, I don't know, hanging out with friends. So, yeah, I think a lot of it is through the lens of feminism, queerness and mental health. Conversely, it's such a strong song. Mm. Like it's just this thumping, rocking 80s mm. track. Yeah. 
Mm. I think at the time when I wrote Stranger, I didn't know what I was writing about. I had the verses and I was writing with my friend Oscar Dawson from Holy Holy and I couldn't get past the verses. And he was like, just finish the song. Like just it had been, you know, months and we kept coming back to it. And I was like, I just don't think it's a good song. And then he was like, let's just put something down as a placeholder. And then this moment in my brain just clicks and I was like, oh, I think this is about being anxious and not feeling enough and feeling like I'm kind of faking it with music and faking it with this and waiting for someone to kind of be like, gotcha. And in that moment, I was like, I can either take this one or two ways where it's like, I'm going to forever be like this or actually, no, I'm going to embrace this part of my brain where, yeah, I do, you know, have those intrusive thoughts where sometimes it's, you don't think you can do it. And I think sometimes that's actually like one of the most beautiful things about people is when they are anxious and it's very human. So I think the more I and other people kind of just say, yeah, like I I do feel anxious. Yes, this is going on for me. The more it feels empowering. And I think when I was writing the song, I was like, I want that to be the end result of making this album. I want to feel like, yes, I did it. And I think there's part in of the song from my memory where it's like I, I can't get much better than this. Yeah. And, like, I think as I was writing it, I was like, it felt like a question when I was kind of demoing it out. But in the end product, I think it feels much more um, anthemic and I think we're all shouting it in the room. It was me, Oscar, and my friend Gab um, from Japanese Wallpaper and we're just, like, screaming um, the lyric and it was really fun and yeah I think it's sometimes you just need to accept and kind of take hold of something like anxiety and say yes this is how I feel but also let's just have fun with it you know it is what it is it's almost in a way this is more of a question but mm. it feels like that it, it it's it's a way not just of processing it but sort of transforming it mm. in that yeah in that totally yeah moment a hundred percent yeah um I've been listening to a bunch of nerdy podcasts and there's one called the adult chair uh she talks about how when we're anxious or you know when something is triggering or traumatic we revert back to the child chair um and I think this song in particular kind of watches in the verses me swing from the the little baby chair to the adult chair in the chorus so it kind of follows the transformation in some ways yeah i've been trying to learn this song on bass finally um i will not leave my bed today i've got a thousand things to do i need a mental break a holiday someone on my side i can't leave my bed today i've got a thousand things confused i've had the nervous shakes all week i've had too much to choose and i thought that i was so strong well i feel it stick and I feel so small I'll take all your words so wrong You've got nothing to say I've got nothing to say to you I'm feeling like a stranger 
I'm feeling like a stranger I am afraid of it too Well I think that I'm in danger Yeah the feelings get much stranger I am a stranger to you Bass is kind of a funny unplugged instrument My friends think I can do better this is the breakup song. Yeah. So what's that like? Is it just... Having a breakup? <laughs> You've never had a breakup? <laughs> I feel like I need to sit with the feeling first like every human and then wait for the feelings to kind of crystallize and so I'm like hey actually this is what I want to write about like and so I kind of go down different facets of of the emotion so you know with grief sometimes it's feeling angry and I think my friends think I can do better is definitely the angry facet of the breakup um and picking out kind of key things that happened and then you know there's songs like even love which are still kind of tinged with anger but i think there's a a darkness and a sadness in that song and before the radio which i think is much more kind of just grieving the loss of someone it's kind of about looking at an object and then kind of swiveling it around and looking at all of the facets and zooming in and magnifying and kind of droning in and out um yeah i don't know who you are anymore we used to sing it so loud from your bedroom floor i think your neighbors thought i want to rap about to blow so when you're up on stage performing these songs, mm-hmm. do you, in that moment, do you switch on the performing brain mm. or are you going deep into those emotions that these songs mm. were initially written about? I think it depends on the day. Like I really like performing live because every show is different. For example, you know, I played a show last week I'm at the uni bar with Sarah Blasco and I felt very connected to certain songs that week and I think it was just that week I needed to kind of feel certain things where sometimes you know if you're just playing at a festival it's like this is fun we're all here together and when I'm performing something like I'll never want a boyfriend it feels very kind of removed in some ways and kind of feels more like an anthem in celebrating with my community that this is now you know since it was written like things like the plebiscite have passed or um and often it's just like everyone singing together whereas when I first wrote it it was kind of a bit fresh and I felt scared to show people or do you feel vulnerable because you pour so much of yourself into these songs um I think I do feel vulnerable but I think vulnerability is the coolest thing like I love you know with friends and family that you're able to have real conversations and so for me songs feel like that it's like I I always want my songs to feel like real conversations and conversations that I wish I could have or wanted to have at that time or 
want to have in the future. Yeah, I think most of the processing is in the songwriting process and even in the recording studio. Like making the album, we took about a year to like record it and then prior to that was the writing. So by the time things get out, it's usually at least a year. And then by the time you tour, it's probably even longer. And now that it's COVID, probably doubles uh, the processing time, which is great in terms of, you know, everything I'm working on at the moment, it feels like I'm being patient with creating and making sure that everything that I'm recording or going to put on my next album is something that I'm really excited about rather than kind of thinking, oh, I need to record and write now and release in the next six months. It's more kind of, yeah, patient creating, which it feels really nice. Yeah. I think Try and Save Me is definitely one uh, one hand around my ex's waist and one step in my therapist's office, which is classic Rebecca comical. That's the rom-com, <laughs> but maybe without the rom, just all com. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever worry that if you can't mine the pit of despair for the mm. songwriting process that they're not going to be... Maybe is good. Hmm. hmm. I haven't had the fear yet, funnily. Maybe tomorrow I will after this podcast. But uh, I don't know. I feel like as humans you're always learning new things about yourself. And for me something that I really value is curiosity. And if it's not learning about me, then it's learning about other people. And so – but also at the moment um, I'm kind of – interested in writing about other things too, like not just my own feelings. At the moment, I'm writing for a theatre company, which has been really awesome during lockdown. The production company is called the Dead Puppet Society. The actual production is called Ishmael, which is a take on Moby Dick with a female protagonist. I don't know. I feel like being a songwriter, you can do so many different projects and I feel lucky enough to be asked to do that. And I'm kind of writing like this near future space opera which is kind of like something that I would normally do but to an extreme is it um, a sci-fi kind of but it's really funny and modern and the soundscapes used are very like um, the references were people like Grimes and this record too and so it's still very like German anxious club it's very fun. How, how was lockdown for you? Like how do you deal with just, you know, having just performed at festivals over summer to then not being able to perform? I feel like the live aspect I'm definitely missing right now, especially as everything's starting to reopen. But for me, I felt really lucky to have time to create at home and to have a job where I can work from home with kind of ease. The hardest thing for me was um, having three housemates and usually I would have the house to myself. And so for me, songwriting is a very personal thing. So I think I've been writing in a different way in some respects. Like all of my demos are very quiet, almost not audible. Because you're locked in your room. Yeah, and I'm kind of just like secretive about lyrics. So I kind of like mumble them in the microphone and then don't want people to hear them because at the time I'm like when I'm recording something I'm like this is a very concrete feeling and being sure of a feeling so there's a certain paranoia in my COVID 
demos that will probably come through. But I was also really lucky to get to play a festival in Darwin, kind of in the middle of um, lockdown. So that kind of scratched my itch where there were, you know, three and a half thousand people not distanced and it was really fun and it's just odd, isn't it? Like it's stressful but odd and exciting. Do you feel like now that it's work or play? I think there are definitely days where it feels like work. The producer I worked with, Oscar, he was like, sometimes, Beck, it's important to remind yourself that it is work and some days you are not going to want to turn up, but you have to. And so I think that was a really nice, hard but validating reminder for me. And at the time, I wasn't enjoying touring. I felt really anxious being away from home, which is hilarious saying that now because now I'm like, I just want to tour. But for the most part, it feels really fun in a challenging way. Like, it, you know, touring is hard and being away from home is hard and it's expensive. Like I, I, I released this album independently without a record label and all of it is, yeah, financially taxing, emotionally taxing. What's the actual process for you? Like do you have mm. a routine? Do you sit mm. down and? When I wake up, I have my morning routine, get a coffee, walk my dog and then get dressed for work. That will either be writing on an instrument that I don't know how to play or um, working on an older song. So weekly I'll probably attempt to write at least one song. Weekly? Uh, yeah. And it doesn't – the idea is like I'll just throw whatever at the guitar or computer or whatever I'm working with and it doesn't matter if it's quote-unquote not good. It's just done and I think sometimes it's just a matter of – getting it out um, and being okay with, you know, this might not be on my next album. This might not be heard by anyone. Yeah, I think there's just something freeing about not being so attached to every single idea that you put out. Mm. But in terms of, like, the actual process, it comes in, like, many different ways. Like, often at really inconvenient times when I'm driving my car, I'll come up with a melody and I'll have to do a sneaky voice memo on my phone or when I'm walking my dog and I'm, I look a bit woo-woo and singing to myself along, you know, the footpath from Thrill to Bulai or something. Um, and I'm like, I think there's something about moving that like, you know, stream of conscious melodies or lyric ideas tend to happen. And so that classic question, which I have no idea about, mm. but is it the music or the words that come first or either or? I think it's either or, Yeah. Uh, I use this program called Splice and there's a bunch of kind of loops available from all different records and I'll kind of drag one of those drum loops, so just a drum beat into the computer and then I'll write from that drum beat. So it'll kind of give me the feel, the tempo, but often I'll kind of sing something stream of conscious the words aren't words, they don't make sense. And then there'll be some interesting ideas in there and then I'll kind of flesh that out a bit or I've got like in my notes like a couple of words that I find interesting, um, like one that I wrote recently. My friend Dave and I have been writing a lot together. He was really interested in the concept of claustrophobia and I was like, ah, let's, you know, let's write a song about this. I'm kind of a real word nerd. Like I, I'm just interested in how words sound and how they sound with a melody. Claustrophobia When you walk in the room 
I'm like losing my voice. <laughs> Alright. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Just as I got here, you make sure I see you. I get the feeling you're gonna stick around. That brings us back also to to this instrument because you said that mm. you can write a song on a completely, as you're learning a new instrument. Mm. Yeah, I feel like sometimes when I'm experiencing writer's block, the best thing is to remove myself from anything that I know how to do. And it's kind of like that idea of just becoming a kid again with music and, you know, reintroducing play or fun. And so for me, bass guitar, you know, I know some basics, like the top the four strings are the top strings of the guitar in terms of notation, but I have no idea technique-wise what I'm doing. So it's very, like, feels-based. And the same with piano. Like, it's my favourite instrument ever, but it kind of forces me to think about the melody more than the technicality of something, whereas guitar I feel very comfortable and confident in articulating an idea on it. So the bass that I've got is a COVID bought bass and it's a 1975 Greco viola bass for any bass nerds out there. And it's from Japan and it's a bit used. I've been told the thing about bass guitars is that it's all octaves and fifths, which I don't really understand, but I've been trying to learn like, I like really like this slidey kind of stuff I think it's kind of reminds me of like Steve Miller band or like stuff that my dad would listen to something I was writing I don't know it's just like really kind of that thumpy like warm 70s kind of sound I actually wrote a song probably about running a red light um which you know it's just, I'm painting myself to be the worst driver in the whole world but I thought it was like a cool emotional idea um, let me see if I can remember it. Yeah, just auto-tune the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Turned all the lights out on you, blew out the red light, I drove through. Looked like a race car, felt like a race car to you, to you. That's kind of the idea um, that I've been playing around with. We'll see what happens. It's, like, very different to everything else that I've been writing. It feels a lot more on the hip and relaxed rather than, like, stressful disco. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I've moved to Thrall. So do you still see it as part of a creative practice? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, for sure. I think probably after I released this album, actually, I felt burnt out. I learnt in that moment of feeling burnt out that actually I need other hobbies because when you fuse your hobby and your passion with work it can't be your only source of fun so I've taken up many wee hobbies like for example oh embarrassingly during lockdown I've gotten really into Zumba and yoga I love swimming so I'm teaching my dog how to swim at the moment which is a task. 
but very cute. <laughs> the other thing is, like, I really enjoy cooking, but I'm not good at it. So I just enjoy eating, smelling. It's good for all the senses. Um, going to Bunnings. I know that's a classic lesbian statement, but Bunnings is – is that a hobby, going to Bunnings? I got a message from someone on Instagram a couple of weeks ago and they were like, hi, Beck, was that you in Bunnings in aisle X? And I was like, oh, no. They're like, I saw you had a plant and some duct tape. What project are you working on? And I was like, nothing exciting. <laughs> but it was me. <laughs> What's one creative thing that someone can do that's easy or... One other thing I've been doing during lockdown is running like a young women and gender non-conforming music group in Wollongong. And one tip that, or one little task we do kind of every week is when writing a song, if you feel like you've got writer's block, writing conversations you wish you could have. I think that's always like a really interesting one because it's like addressing your fears thinking about why you're scared of things, and then doing it. So, yeah, conversations you wish you could have. Great. Woohoo! Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you for coming. I don't know if I'm very good at piano. I don't know if my, my which mic is which. Oh, I, I need to. <laughs> shorter so legs. good. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just having fun. Do you want me to just have a, have a look at what the... Like my oldest... From your skin and don't let the fuck is in. Thank you, Beck. No worries. Thank you. That's my favourite one to play. A big thank you to Beck Sandridge, singer-songwriter. Her debut album, Try and Save Me, is out now. You can buy it on Beck's website, becksandridge.com, and she'll even post it to you herself. The post is still, like, magic in some ways, even though it's, like, a human on, like, a bike or a motorcycle or something. I'm like, oh, it actually made it. It's exciting, but the post office is stressful. I know. I feel like there's always someone slightly salty behind the desk. And I always feel like I'm doing errands on the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go in with my, like, green shopping bag and, like, a bit dishevelled with my list. I'm like, here we are. In the Making is by Makeshift, a support and education agency connecting creativity and mental health for social change. Discover more about how creative practices are good for your health at makeshift.org.au. 
Get 10% off our press play programs with the code INTHEMAKING. And if you want to learn about how to support your friends and family who might be going through a difficult time, you can sign up to one of our mental health first aid courses. For more information about all our courses, go to makeshift.org.au or you can follow Makeshift on Instagram and Facebook. If this episode has brought up any issues or triggers for you, contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. 1300 224636. If you like this episode, tell your friends to listen and leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice. The theme song, Bring Down Those Walls, was written and performed by Alana Stone and the songs that you heard were from Beck Sandridge's debut album, Try and Save Me. Our sound engineer is Chris Hancock. Logo and cover art are by Chiara Mucci. You can find links to all of their work in our show notes. Makeshift was co-founded by Caitlin Marshall and Lizzie Rose. I'm Jennifer Macy. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was produced on the land of the Wadi Wadi people of the Dharawal Nation. I acknowledge and pay my respects to the original storytellers, singers and artists of this land. Ah!